0: Father, as we come to your word, we pray. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would open our hearts that are filled with all kinds of things in the week, all kinds of emergencies and calamities and schedules and things that all the time are rushing in on us. And we pause on this Sabbath, this day of rest. We ask that you cause our hearts to be in rest, even now. That in Jesus' name, the spoken word of God would penetrate into our dullness, and make us alive again and quicken us to be inspired and encouraged, Lord, to serve you more gladly. We give thanks for your word in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll turn to the book of Revelation, it's the last book in the Bible before the maps. If you go to the maps you went too far, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Revelation. And we're in chapter one. Revelation chapter 1. And I'm reading verses 1 through 3. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His servants, the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Chapter 1, verse 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, the things that soon must take place. Most Christians, when they think about the book of Revelation, they focus on the end of this verse and conclude this is what the book of Revelation is about, the things that must soon take place. And suddenly we get calendars out and we get calculations out and we get uh, conjecture out and guesses and it's been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries. The problem is that's not how the book starts and it's not the focus of the book. When in fact, the first part of the verse is what the focus of the book of Revelation is all about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book is all about. I'm contending that the book of Revelation is the greatest entry in all of the Word of God telling us and informing us on the subject of Christology, which means the study of Jesus Christ. Who is He? There are so many opinions and so many thoughts out there. But God has told us who he is and what he has done. So when you read the book of Revelation, get rid of your calendars and your charts. They're nonsense. It's not a book about timing and predicting. It's a timeless book that introduces you to a person You know, it took the church three centuries to figure out who Jesus Christ was. The creeds and the council, who is He? Is He divine? Is He a man? Yes. What? Huh? How is this possible? Three centuries. And so that's why we pay attention to those things, because historically, our fathers before us, they went through this. Now, in seminary, we're taught, you know, when you defend the deity of Jesus Christ and you, you defend who He is, You go to Colossians 1, uh, He was the image bearer and all those things. You go to John 1, He was the eternal Word. You look at His miracles proving His deity. But it wasn't until later after seminary that I realized the greatest book that reveals Jesus Christ is the book of Revelation. Now this might astound you. I'm discipling a new believer in Troy. Guess what book I'm taking Him through right now? That's right, the book of Revelation. Oh, Steve, you'll scare him with the lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my, you're going to scare him. No, I'm going to demonstrate to him who Jesus is. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, that's what the book is about. In actual fact, The book of Revelation is the paragon of biblical revelation of who Christ is. Augustine, the great church father, said this, the key to understanding the book of Revelation has always hung by the door. What he meant was chapter 1 pretty well tells you what the book is about. And verse 1, the first five words tell you what the book is about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The keys have always hung by the door. But we get a hold of all these, oh, what does this dragon mean, and this bear, and how many horns, and is that Russia, is that, what is this? When you study this for any time, you see the ridiculousness over centuries of people conjecturing over time, who are these people? Can I just tell you, it's Satan he's fighting. He wears different masks, he does different things, but in the end, it's between God and Satan. And I'm going to introduce you to the book so that you might be inspired to read it for yourself. Because what the book is supposed to do is bless us and encourage us. Oh, I'm going to go to the Toronto Blessing to get blessed. Well, why don't you just read the book of Revelation? It guarantees you that you'll be blessed. It also says it seven times in the book. So just like the rest of Scripture, Revelation reveals the man Christ Jesus to us. It was John the Apostle who wrote the book of Revelation. Again, there's scholars that write books to one another about this. It was John the Apostle. How do I conclude that? Because John wrote the gospel, and he wrote it for a purpose, with a purpose. In John chapter 21, he said this, This is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And I'm concluding, he wrote the book of Revelation for the same purpose. Because the, the the suffering Christians were losing their vision, Ephesians one, of Him who was high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. They were losing it, because they were under such colossal pressure in the first century. I'm getting ahead of myself. But John wrote the book of Revelation with the same person, purpose in mind. That is revealing the Christ. Again, I'm going to emphasize. That you read this book you should be blessed and encouraged not frightened if it frightens you you've got a wrong interpretation and you don't know what you're reading and there are some systems of thought that have made us so afraid of what's happening out there can I just say to you every time Jesus showed up to somebody usually his first words were fear not there's no reason to fear well, why do you say that, Lord? Do you have a word for me? No, I'm standing here. I'm alive. You have nothing to fear. Yet we watch the news today and we say, oh, evil's winning. Oh, evil is... It. Read the book of Revelation. It's, it's like a piece of lint on Christ's robe. Do you have a little bitty tiny plastic Jesus on your dashboard? Is that all you have? Or you'd have the Christ of the Revelation in your mind and heart and you're living by that revelation because when you do it doesn't matter if the mountains fall down I won't be moved all right we're preaching down we are not encouraged by slaps on the back we are not encouraged we are only encouraged when we see him in the scriptures the champion of God Christos victor that's what they called him in Latin the scholars Christus victor, the victorious Christ. Now, the context of the book of Revelation is important because what you think you're going through tough times, pff, you got nothing on the first century Christians. These people were in the great tribulation like the world's never seen. So if you're planning on meeting one of these saints and sitting at a a Starbucks for 10,000 years and complaining about your lot in life, get ready because you're going to be outmatched by all of these first century Christians. They were losing their lives and their property and their children. They had no freedom. They were the scourge of the earth. And yet they held on to the lamb who was slain. That's the testimony of the book of Revelation. Now the context is, they were under great persecution. There was such a temptation to compromise. You see, every temptation can be boiled down to this, a temptation to compromise. Am I going to trust myself, my business skills, my abilities, my history, or am I going to trust Christ? That's what the essence of all temptation is. Am I going to put my faith in the word of God or the word of that broadcaster or that podcast or uh, these relatives who are giving me counsel? You're a fool to trust in man and put your hope in them. I didn't say that. Psalm 118 did. Put your trust in Christ. And that's what the book of Revelation emphasizes. There was massive cultural pressure to worship Caesar as Lord instead of Jesus as Lord. This is the context of the book of Revelation. All the coins, all the the things of culture promoted Caesar not as a president who can be voted out in four years, but as the son of God as the creator of peace and prosperity, called Pax Romina. He was God, and you, the citizens, shall worship him. In every one of the churches of the the seven that are addressed here, they all had temples and shrines to Caesar. And if you decided not to show up, oh, so-and-so's not here. Oh, we're so-and-so. Those unfaithful Christians, they don't worship Caesar. They insist that Jesus is Lord, and so they would be cut out of business deals. They would be cut out of life. They would be cut out of culture in every which way. The pressure was immense, immense to compromise. You're running a business, and all your associates are going to the Caesar festival. You say, can you, can you maybe just excuse me? Well, no, you need to come. We're going to do business at the table while we're feasting and giving honor and allegiance to Caesar. Come on, come. What's wrong with you? Well, just excuse me. I, I don't worship Caesar. Say what? Well, you're not getting our contract then. And so the message to the seven churches is, don't do that. Don't compromise. Don't give in. Don't you know who he is? And he's worth it yes. to lose that business, to lose everything. He's worth it. They loved not their lives unto death was their testimony. Each of the seven cities I already mentioned, they worshipped. Caesar is God. And even the name Roman is from the Roman goddess Roma. She was the central deity, Roma. So, you've got this cultural worship thing going on, um, Roman idolatry, and the Christians under massive pressure to give in, just to go along, just to be accepted, just to be in the golf club, just to be, you know, not thought of as a scourge or, what's, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? This dead guy who died 40 years ago, what's, what are you doing? And many of them were... Tempted to put their beanie back on because Israel had already sold out. What did they say at the, at the crucifixion? Is this your king? They say, We have no king. But Caesar, they were already a whore. But they, if I put my beanie back on, I can get back into this community and be accepted. And everything. Don't do it, says the book of Revelation. Come out of her, says the book of Revelation. Stand fast. And I think it's a timely message for all of us in every year and every century, but especially today. John is writing to people in great tribulation. And he said, John, you're our apostle. John, please come and give us a stirring message on I'm free from guilt or it's okay if I eat the cookie or give us some life coaching skills. Give us something. We're dying here. Nobody's smiling. I'm making fun of other preachers. And John said, I don't have a word for you. I'm going to give you the word. His name is Jesus Christ. And when they saw him, they said, that's enough. I'm in. I'm not capitulating. I'm not going there. Because this first true and faithful witness, I want to be like him. So in chapter 1, we are given this glorious, my God, I don't know why Songwriters don't sing something from the first chapter. Lord Jesus, the Christology is overwhelming. Listen to this. I'm going to go through it quickly. All in chapter 1, Jesus is called the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, one like the Son of Man. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sword, a two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its full strength. The first and the last, the living one, the one who has the keys of hell and of death. That's all in chapter 1. All this breathtaking revelation of Prince Messiah in the first chapter is played out in the other 21 chapters. It unfolds from chapter 1. To show you this is who he is and this is what he does to any enemy who dares to confront him. I don't care how big their empire is. I don't care how much they huff and puff and say they're going to blow your house down. Nothing can stand before the lamb lion. Nobody and nothing. That's the message of the book of Revelation. So if you're discouraged today, read the book. See what John is wanting you to see. I guarantee you, you'll be strong. Your problem may not go away. So what? Right. You will be high. In, you'll be the, in, in Ephesians 1 where Paul told us to be, seeing him who is far above all principalities and powers and every rule that can be ruled. And you say, I'm with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm with him. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and hope will begin to stir in your heart. And flashes of <laughs> faith lightning come out from hope. If you don't have any hope, you won't ever have any faith. This is our hope, that we're one with him. We belong to him. He's my Jesus. He's your Jesus. He's our, he's our Messiah. He's our Savior. Time doesn't permit us to unfold each revelation and character of nature here. If, in case you were frightened that I was going to do that. So we'll only focus today on one entry from the book of revelation which basically drives the entire book is found in verse 5 where jesus is titled the ruler of the kings of the earth jesus is titled the ruler of the kings of the earth what i thought we had to wait to the end of the book to find out who wins <laughs> he he wins before revelation 1 1. he's already called the ruler of the kings of the earth. There's no contest. Oh, they can huff and puff, but they will be smashed like an egg in his hand. That's how fragile they are. Reading the book of Revelation is like using your DVR. Okay, you don't get to see the Mets game for the Cardinals, so you set your DVR, and you find out before you get home they won 10 to 5. So, you flip on the TV and you begin watching the game with the knowledge. It may be four to one, but we win ten to five. It's a joyous way to win the baseball game because I have to walk away from the TV seven or eight times because of anxiety. <laughs> Dr. James, if you have any pills for me, I can't take i got to walk away. i got to watch the three students for five minutes. i got to do something. <laughs> huh? You're with me because you're like that too. All right then. Before all the battles and all the judgments begin, Jesus has conquered all of his enemies. How did he do that? By the cross, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. In that act alone, the very essence of evil, the very essence of everything that's wrong in our world, the very essence of arrogance, people thinking they can challenge Prince Messiah is ruined in the concept of sin. It's abolished. It's gone. And so they have no gas to run on. Much like us today. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, was not the arrival of Clark Kent. It was the arrival of Superman. Thank you for that you You forgive me acts 2 2 and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind this is not a casual person this is an Italian Holy Spirit (laughs) he's not asking for permission he's not asking you can I come into your heart He's not asking, will you please give me some room in your heart? Will you please? Well, okay. That's not God. (laughs) He doesn't ask permission. That's what Lord means. He owns everything. He owns you. He owns the pagans out there. And they're going to suffer his wrath if they don't thank him and acknowledge him and worship him. Sorry. Oh, that's not very kind Look at Acts 2, this guy, who is this guy? Again, if you've got a little bitty Jesus, it's no wonder that you're you got to take all kinds of medicines to keep yourself alive and anxiety, because when you see him, he's, forget the pills, I got him. You don't need to diagnose, you don't need to go to Ancestry.com and find out where your anger came from. It came from sin! <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come from your grandpa, he had sin too. So, just stop spending the money trying to discover it and realize I'm a sinner. I need that tank. Jesus is Lord. It's Christianity simple, it's not complex. No polite invitation to Him. When He comes into town, this is a throwdown. This is a gauntlet throwdown. This is, come on, all takers, let's go. There's a new sheriff in town. This is an entrance that says, I'm large and in charge. This is a takeover not a polite dinner invitation. This is an invasion on fallen humans and earth from the absolute monarch, the high king of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth, not someday, not when it all comes down and we're in the fullness of the kingdom, now. He's the ruler. Well, it certainly doesn't look like it. You know what? You better put your hand over your mouth You're going to make decisions in your 70 years of sinful life on Prince Messiah and his decisions. You're going to calculate whether he's doing a good job or a bad job. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? You have no right to sit in the judgment seat against Christ. That's his chair. So calm your questions and just worship. And let your God deal with your enemies. He can do a lot better job than you. But he's so slow. Again. (laughs) Again. I would just learn. Read Job. When he decided to speak up against God, he ended up like this. Boy, what have I done? All right. And what did God show him? All the answers? Job had no answers. He showed God how big he was. He showed Job how small he was. He said, I'm going to trust God. This is an invasion. He's the ruler of the king of the earth. His authority is absolute in two realms, heaven and earth. He is indeed Christus victor. Now, John consolidates his thought about Jesus and his Christology by reminding his audience that the ruler of the kings of the earth is one like the Son of Man. That's Revelation one twelve same chapter. He reminds his listeners, which are mainly Hebrew Christians, never forget that the first Christians were mainly Hebrews, broke into the Gentile word, thank God. And that was through the Italians, you're welcome. But at the same time, the Hebrews had a longing and a desire for the Son of Man from Daniel 7. This was their hope and their promise that the Ancient of Days would present someone who would be given dominion, and they would be vindicated. They would be rescued from their captivity once and for all. Now, they missed the day of his visitation, but not because John didn't help them. What did he say to them in chapter 1? He said, I want you to look at him. I want you to look at this son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters in his right hand. He held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in its full strength. Who is he? He is the Son of Man from the book of Daniel chapter 7, the hope of Israel. He is the one the Hebrews longed for, for he was to be given dominion. The Hebrew Christians, upon hearing this vision, would have dropped to their knees upon hearing this revelation. They would have dropped to their knees, making the connection from Daniel 7. You mean that's him? Yes, says John. And even John, when he saw the vision, it says he dropped and fell down like one dead. And he's writing it. What kind of Jesus do you worship? First of all, the description of Jesus in Revelation 1.12 is the description of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. Listen to Daniel 7 briefly. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. Thousands upon thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. John, are you telling us that Jesus is equal to the ancient of days? Yes, he is God. That's why it's such wonderful Christology. That's why it makes you butt- knees buckle and causes you to swoon. And the Hebrew going, we thought he was just a good teacher. We, we thought he was just starting a new revelation, revolution. He's God. And again, the church took three centuries to figure that out. All they had to do was read John. He was equated with the Ancient of Days. To the Hebrew that meant, my God and my Lord. What Thomas said when he put his fingers in the holes. You are God. You're not just a man. This God-man, by the way, when he calls himself, this is Jesus' favorite title in the New Testament for himself. There are three top titles for him in in the New Testament. The The Son of Man is the third, but they're all used by Jesus. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now that's not referring to his humanity. It was a regal, royal title that when he said, I'm the Son of Man, the Hebrews were, what? That's you that Daniel saw? Yeah, it's me. And that would have meant complete deliverance to them, you see. This God-man in Daniel 7 came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. That's Revelation 5. You're reading Revelation 5. There he was, presented before the Ancient of Days as God. And to him was given dominion and glory in the kingdom, and all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. This is the Jesus of the book of Revelation. So how should we respond to the 21st century? Here we are, all these two millennium later. How do we respond? I've got three suggestions. Number one, fall down as dead like John did when he saw the vision. Get rid of your cockiness and your arrogant. Boy, God got a pretty special deal when he got me. I'm not going to kneel, Lord. I've got new slacks on. You understand. Get rid of it. It stinks in God's nostrils. You don't know who he is when you act like that stay humble, stay low, worship the Son of Man with tears, that I'm even in your presence. Oh my God, that my name is even written in the book, that you allowed me to live and then you allowed me to be born again and you allowed me to serve you. Oh, you don't need a worship leader to stir you up. That's enough to worship for 10,000 years. No offense. Number two, never forget the Son of Man is large and in charge. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The nations are but a drop in the bucket to him. Oh, Ukraine, oh, Russia, oh, what's happening? Oh, my God. Calm down. Calm down. Don't lose your focus. The Son of Man is dealing with the nations. You don't need to have every answer. You don't need to know everything. You just trust him. Your job is to trust, not know. (laughs) Ask a soldier. They don't know everything. They are given an assignment, a mission. This is your part to play in there. Yeah, but what happens after that? What does that army over there do? None of your business. We're not telling you. Just do your job. That's what it means to live in the kingdom. It's not fret over these things and try to get answers to everything. Just say, my God's on the throne and he shall not be overturned. I don't know what he's doing, but I trust every stick of the way, every single decision he makes, I trust it, even if I don't understand it. Number three, take immense courage today. The Son of Man is one of us. I'll never forget Ern Baxter using that phrase. One of us is there in the presence of God. My God, that makes my heart soar, saying there's hope for me. There's hope for humans because one of us, he's not a concept. He's not a wisp of wind that you want to feel in the meeting. He's the man, Christ Jesus. One day you will eat with him. Hopefully it's not fish, but you will eat with him. Take immense courage in the man Christ Jesus. You belong to him. He will never forsake you. Well, I'm not so sure about that. There's been a couple. Oh, again, again, be real careful where you're going with that. Just be real careful. You don't know the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega. You are never alone. Oh, I feel so alone. I'm the one Elijah made the mistake. God said, "What do you get up? What are you doing? What do you think you are? I got seven thousand people over right now. I could just call on right now, and they do the same thing you're doing." Oh, okay. Oh, I was. Guess I was feeling sorry for myself. Why? You serve me. In the end, it's going to be glorious anyway. It's going to be better than ten to five. And if we can manufacture any runs in the meantime. Okay, you are never alone. Think about that. His face is always toward you. His face is always toward you. This was what it meant to be blessed in the Hebrew mind. In the Hebrew mind, to be blessed didn't mean cars and jobs and homes and summer vacations. That never was in the Hebrew mind. To be blessed in the Hebrew mind was to be able to stand before God and look into his face with no condemnation. That was the Hebrew dream. And so when God turned his face away from the Christ, the cursed man on the tree suffered your forsakenness. So that forever, his anger was for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. God's not looking at me. I beg to differ. Well, it doesn't feel like it. I don't care what you feel. His favor is with you forever. Well, how it doesn't look like it because you've got a wrong concept of it? But the fact that you can get up on any morning, even if you're in jail and stand before God and look him in the face with no condemnation, you're a rich man. You're a wealthy person. You're the dream of the Hebrews. This is what they wanted. That's why it says at the end of the book of Revelation, and we shall see his face. For the Hebrew, that means ultimate blessing, shining in its full strength. (laughs) This is what we mean when we live life coram Deo, before the face of God. Don't wear a bracelet that says, what Jesus do? Live before the face of God and measure everything you do. Okay, God's looking at me. Would this pleasure him? Would this bring him pleasure? Would he be, would he be encouraged by what I'm doing today? No, I refuse to do it. Because I live my life before the face of God. And then one day... You will behold him face to face with no barriers, with no two spheres, with no two worlds, with no brokenness, with no sin. And that little meal with the little bitty pieces we got here, that's just an appetizer. This is an appetizer that says, here I come. What we're coming for is a banquet. Are you ready for this in Isaiah? Prepared by God himself. We may eat for 10,000 years. No calories, no diabetes, no Crohn's disease, no nothing. But Lord, this is crazy. Eat! (laughs) Enjoy! It's not going to hurt you anymore. I can feel some of you saying, stop now. Just don't, don't do that. So we close today agreeing with Exodus 15, verses 1 and 2. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Let's all stand. Let's close our time together this morning with this great hymn of the church. We just graduated the class in Pakistan with the CLTI, and this is our school song, our official school song. So they sang it probably in Urdu, but we'll, we'll sing it in English. It's a great hymn of the church. Let's sing it together. Roy, maybe you can dim the lights now so they can see the words. Sing loud. Fourth century, be thou my vision. His face shines upon you. He is seated on the throne. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no one like our God. He is mighty to save. He's the heart of our own heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remember that our King Jesus is seated on the throne and that you are with him. God bless you. Have a great day. We're dismissed.